If you're looking to maintain peak brain health, I'd like to introduce you to a cutting-edge new brain support formula from my friends at Thorne, Cinequel. If you're recovering from a head injury or play contact sports, you should pay special attention. Cinequel is formulated with the best research nutrients that support healthy brain structure and cognitive function. Cinequel's active ingredients help maintain cellular energy production, encourage a healthy balance of inflammatory cytokines, provide energy to fuel the nerves, support neurotransmitter production, and help protect against oxidative stress. It's available in two strengths, Cinequel for everyday maintenance and Cinequel Plus, which provides higher amounts of certain nutrients for shorter-term post-impact support. For more information and to purchase Cinequel, just go to drhoffman.com slash thorn. There, you'll also find some of my other favorite thorn products. That's drhoffman.com slash thorn for the essential nutritional brain support formula, Cinequel. Welcome to today's Intelligent Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ronald Hoffman. Today, we're going to discuss a very, very important subject because, well, it turns out that an increasing number of Americans are taking medications, especially those over the age of 60. We call this polypharmacy, and uh, generally, older individuals have more difficulties when they're taking a lot of different things simultaneously. Today, we're going to talk to uh, an expert uh, on this subject. She's Dr. Hedva Barinholtz-Levy. She's a PharmD, which means that she has a doctorate in pharmacy. She specializes in geriatric pharmacy, which is kind of unique, focusing on the needs of seniors, and is founder of a community-based senior care practice. She uh, teaches and speaks and writes does research and advocates for the safe and effective use of medications among older adults. And so without further ado, she, by the way, she's also author of a great new book that is a guide to uh, the potential hazards of polypharmacy entitled, Maybe It's Your Medications, How to Avoid Unnecessary Drug Therapy and Adverse Drug Reactions. So welcome, Dr. Levy. It's a pleasure having you on Intelligent Medicine. Thanks very much for joining us. It's my pleasure. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you very much. Well, indeed. Okay, so uh, help us uh, define the scope of the problem because uh, you know I don't, I don't think people realize uh, the extent to which uh, more and more Americans are taking not just one, not just two, but multiple medications, mm-hmm. particularly as people get older and they encounter various medical conditions. What's what's the scope of this? Absolutely. So polypharmacy, as you introduced the term already, that use of multiple medications. And we tend to define that commonly as five or more, but there's no magical number of what means, what polypharmacy means. It's just taking multiple medications and typically more than you need. Um, and the statistics are, so bear this out that, um, among older adults age 65 and older, 42% of older adults take five or more medications on a regular basis. Um, and the number of people taking 10 or more uh, medications regularly is around the percentage is about 18%, 20% of older adults. So, you know, you're talking about almost half of America, older adult, older adults in America take at least five medications. And that, of course, includes scary. prescription medications as well as over the counter medications, which are readily available, right? 
Right. Well, probably those numbers are just looking at prescription medicines alone, but because wow. um, how you measure a medication matters. But I think the um, that 41% refers to prescription medications only, which is pretty amazing. Well, looking at it from another standpoint, uh, I'm 71 years of old, full disclosure, and I take <laughs> no prescription medications. Occasionally, I'll take a Tylenol. Mm-hmm. Uh, but mm-hmm. uh, what, what percentage of Americans over the age of 70 are on no medications? Is there any, are there any figures for that? No. Yeah, well, I guess the numbers I can give you are um, we know about 91% take one medication. So I'm going to tell you probably about 9% wow. take no medications or maybe, you know, supplements, non-prescription things. Yeah. It's, it's pretty significant. So I, I'm an outlier. I, I, there, I should be in the mm-hmm. Museum of Natural History as the, a, good, you know. a good outlier. Exactly. <laughs> Hold you up on a pedestal because it, it, it really is the, the rare person. When I meet with my clients, someone might tell me they're just taking uh, a couple medications or no medications. Um, so it, it, yeah, definitely you're, you're, you're aging well, shall we say. Well, okay. So, uh, Sometimes what happens, and I notice this in my practice sometimes when I see new patients uh, who are on multiple medications, sometimes one medication is given to counteract the effects of another medication. Uh, that doesn't make mm-hmm. a lot of sense, does it? Can you give us some examples of, of where that might occur? Way too often. Oh, there's um, lots of examples. I'm just trying to think of the right ones here. We call that the prescribing cascade. There's a, a fun term for it, and I do talk about that in the book because it's something that happens more often than it should. Um, a common example might be a certain blood pressure medicine. So medications like um, nifedipine or um, uh, am- amlodipine can lead to swelling in the ankles. And mm-hmm. it's actually a different mechanism, but people are, the counter medication might be to give someone a water pill or a diuretic, which really isn't the best treatment for it, but it's commonly done. And we see that an awful lot. Um, so that's a real common example. Mm-hmm. Um, Another one we see is uh, sometimes uh, the dementia medications, Aricept or Donapazil, can lead to urinary incontinence, increased urination mm. and the urge. And we counter that by adding a medication for the bladder control, which um, coincidentally actually can worsen the cognitive function. So we get in a, we can get in a bad cycle, but um, we don't always recognize the side effects of these medications, and we're adding medications when we don't need them. Um, so, yeah, those are some common examples, and there's many others when you start looking for them. Um, yeah, and another interesting one, just to talk about that idea where drugs do cause side effects, um, the common example of you taking, giving someone a diuretic that might lower potassium levels, and we add a potassium supplement to go with that. And then mm-hmm. I just bring it up as an example where sometimes you want to look at rational drug therapy that that is important and that we do need. Um, but on the other side of it is, like you mentioned, these situations where people are given medicines that causes a side effect and we don't recognize it as a side effect. Thus, maybe it's your medication, but we're adding more medicine to the person. And so what renders older individuals particularly susceptible to this problem? Uh, is there something about their metabolism or their uh, detoxification yeah. pathways, the liver, the, the kidneys, etc.? Sure. Yeah. So a, a big part of why geriatrics and you, geriatric specialty in pharmacy exists, and it's a pretty important one, just like in medicine, older adults are different than the general average, the middle, the 18 to 64 adult population, if you will. And that 65 is a magical number. But we do see changes in the physiology as we get older. 
Um, I talk about pharmacokinetics and pharmacodynamic changes. And those are big terms, but it really means it comes down to that we, our body handles medications differently. As we get older, the kidney functions differently, the liver functions differently. And those are two important organs that help us clear medications from the body. And then on the other side of it, that pharmacodynamics piece, another big word, but it refers to the fact that older adults typically are more sensitive mm-hmm. to the effects of medicines, both the good and the bad. And of course, it's the bad that, that is a problem because those side effects can be much more problematic in older adults. Mm-hmm. Um, medicines will cross into the brain more easily than in younger adult pop- persons. And that means those central side effects, which can be so problematic, dizziness, drowsiness, leading to the fall risk. Um, these things are so can be subtle because it can look like aging. And that's the problem, right? If you have um, a healthcare team that is going to say, oh, you're, you're just getting older. Of course, yeah. you're, you're not. Um, you're tired, you're much, having cognitive problems, family, et cetera, et cetera. They just, yep. well, you know, that's just exactly. part of aging, right? You're just and, getting older. Yeah. And, and it can be the medication. Um, there was a recent study I was just uh, writing a, an article about um, where the, the changes in driving and cognitively healthy older adults, they looked at medicines that impacted driving performance. Mm. And even in these cognitively healthy older adults, the driving performance was decreased by medicines commonly, common ones you might expect, antidepressants and uh, the sedative agents and things like that. Um, and the other piece you mentioned, why is it harder? Why do these prescribing cascades happen? Why do we not recognize these side effects? It's because often older adults have more chronic conditions going on, so it's not so easy to, to weed out. Is it a drug? Is it a health condition? Mm-hmm. Or is it an age-related something or other? So looking at the medications and caring for an older adult who has multiple medicines, multiple health conditions, and other, you know, even social psychological things going on, it can be challenging. So it takes more time and more thinking looking for maybe more specifically, is it the medications? And that's why I love the multidisciplinary approach um, because I'm always going to look at a, a patient from the medications they're taking and what are the implications. And, and there's this uh, term of cognitive reserve, which suggests that uh, mm-hmm. younger people may be more resilient. You know, they've got, you know, full faculties, uh, but older people who may be having just a a touch of, you know, mild uh, age-related mm-hmm. uh, memory impairment, uh, a, mm-hmm. a medication that might be innocuous in a 25-year-old might push them over the edge, right? Absolutely, yeah. And the other piece, you know, physiologically, the medicine is, is crossing into the, the brain a little bit more easily as mm-hmm. we get older. So there are some other ways to explain why that happens. But absolutely, um, someone who's 25 could take a Benadryl at night and, to help fall asleep and have no issues. An older adult might take it and have morning grogginess and dry mouth and and ultimately that those are that's a type of drug that can affect the memory and the cognitive function in, a, in an older person but a younger person yeah will not be as susceptible to those issues absolutely before we tackle prescription medications let, let's take a look at some of the familiar medications that uh, line the pharmacy shelves that you can buy over the counter uh, and you mentioned mm-hmm. just one uh, antihistamines, yeah. but also, I think, uh, unbeknownst to a lot of people, uh, even things like Tylenol PM contain sedating mm-hmm. antihistamines. And so yeah. uh, let's talk about some of the things, ways that uh, people can come to harm just by taking things as directed uh, on the pharmacy mm-hmm. shelves. 
Yeah, yeah, and you bring up a a real important example um, of those Tylenol, the Tylenol PM medications, uh, Advil PM. Anything with that PM has the drug diphenhydramine, which is in Benadryl, the drug I had mentioned, the brand name I had mentioned, and um, and these and so there's there's medications we know that can lead to cognitive decline, memory issues, and even what looks like dementia, reversible, fortunately. Um, but it's medication caused by medications. And if older adults don't know that, they might be taking Tylenol PM, they have trouble sleeping, and over time it can be very problematic and, and lead to confusion, for example. Um, uh, I'm trying to, there's uh, any over-the-counter medicines generally are, are can be, are, are generally safe, they're okay, they're, they're, they're made available over the counter because people can generally use them safely. But like you said, even taking something as, as following, following the instructions can get them into trouble. And the, the PM is a really good example. Um, but I also see a lot of concern with patients not following those instructions and taking them over the counter because they think it's safe and they think it's not going to affect their other, med- their other medications mm-hmm. when in fact those are medications and many of them are even prescription strength. Um, so people need to be mindful of how to use them. Proton pump inhibitors, that wonderful class of, of acid-blocking drugs that is now available over-the-counter, um, omeprazole and Prilosec and Prevacid and, and Pantoprazole, these drugs, um, they're they're supposed to be used for 14 days maximum and then take a break. And I think on the box it even says maximum three times a year. Um, but people are using these constantly and it can lead to the risk of pneumonia and an infectious type of diarrhea and low magnesium levels. And these are problems that can occur that older adults might not even think register it's a problem. My issue as a pharmacist is people won't even, they may not put it on their medicine list so that their doctor can even, can look at all of the medicines they're taking and even see that there might be a possible side effect from an over-the-counter product. What about old over the counter cold remedies? Because sometimes, yeah, just, you know, yeah. like things mm-hmm. like uh, NyQuil, uh, I mean, uh, Ny- you know, oh, I've taken it a couple of times and, you know, it, it kind of numbs you out when you're miserable. But, uh, I, I would <laughs> right. imagine I if you're you- already, uh, you know, a little bit frail, uh, it could pose some real problems. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah the uh, cough and cold is on the tip of my tongue as you said that, so I'm glad you brought those up. So, NyQuil, NyQuil you bring up great examples. Look at the alcohol content and, and NyQuil. They, these drugs, some of these medicines have some alcohol in there. So there's, um, we don't realize what we're exposing our bodies to. The cough and cold products can be particularly, um, dicey because of health conditions that an older, that are common as we get older, um, high blood pressure, uh, enlarged prostate, glaucoma. These medicines can interact with some of these diseases. So not only do we worry about drug-drug interactions, but drug disease or health condition interactions can be a problem too. Um, and I think it's really important when we think about over-the-counter products, even to think about the confusing packaging. These products are put out there to sell, right? There's money behind them and the product, the packaging looks enticing and it will cover all of these symptoms for you. But we end up taking often, oftentimes more medications than we need if we purchase a cough and cold product that has covers the, the seven symptoms or the 10 symptoms, right? You may only have one or two symptoms and you really should choose a product that covers just what you need, not something like NyQuil that it covers, you know, eight different symptoms that may not even be the problem. 
And by the way, there was recently uh, some scrutiny of products containing phenylephrine, which uh-huh, is very popular yep. in over-the-counter products. What's what's the story on that? They say it's yeah, it's actually uh, science does not demonstrate its efficacy, so it's kind of worthless. Exactly. So that's a very interesting story. That, uh, but it, it so phenylephrine is not when we take it orally by mouth, and it, it very little is absorbed, so it really is not effective when taken as a pill. And when you look at the history, though, phenylephrine burgeoned into all these products and became the product available over the counter when pseudephedrine had to was moved behind the counter um, mm-hmm. because of the methamphetamine issue. Right. So I, there's actually scenes in Breaking pack- Bad where, like, uh, the, you know, they assign some mm-hmm. teenagers to go, you know, <laughs> go to a bunch of pharmacies yep, go get your, and score your the amount. Yeah, go, score mm-hmm. the Sudafed, and then they cook it right. into methamphetamine. <laughs> yep. So Sudafed is the great is a great product. Again, caution if you have high blood pressure, but that's the, the best uh, oral de- decongestant. People can still get it. They simply have to go through the hoop of asking for it at the pharmacy counter. So then, so because of that, phenylephrine, you know, drug companies wanted to market their products, so they, they substitute phenylephrine, and that's what's available in front of the pharmacy counter, but it's not effective. And because of the way OTCs are uh, regulated with the FDA and some things, products have been grandfathered in from years back, um, there wasn't much that could be done. And as actually um, a colleague of mine where I did my residency that really fought for about 20 years to get this phenylephrine uh, recognized by the FDA that it's not effective. So, yeah, and I so I always advise people, talk to your pharmacist. We are such an underutilized resource, I think. Um, yes, we seem busy behind the counter, but we want more than anything to help patients understand mm-hmm. their medicines and certainly choose the right over-the-counter product. Um, so, you know, I would hope over, no, no pharmacist would be recommending phenylephrine or, or has in the past um, because there are more effective products. And the, I know consumers are sitting there thinking, well, how, are, how would I know this? How are we to know that phenylephrine is, was not effective or is not effective? Um, but that's where, again, that, that communication, you've got to ask questions and kind of buyer beware a little bit. I think that's very important. Um, but double check because we also, also medical information changes. You, you know that as well as I do. And certainly what with medications, what we knew then may be different than what we know now. So it's always important to kind of... Always double checking. What about the daytime formulas? Because the, the the formulas that are the nighttime formulas have the antihistamines that kind of knock you out, but the daytime formulas uh, actually have things that uh, uh, keep you awake. You know, there's like uh, uh, Allegra D, for example, uh, Claritin D. Mm-hmm. Could they cause problems yeah. for people with certain underlying conditions? Yeah. Well, the the D in there is that decongestant, which would be. The uh, phenylephrine, I presume I have to double check what's in those products, but um, there's, it, there, it's combining products. So it has the antihistamine um, and the uh, and the decongestant. But or if you're referring to the, like, the Allegra, the antihistamine piece is not like the... It's non-sedating. The listener. Yeah. It's non-sedating, right? right. So your, your um, chlorpheniramine or the diphenhydramine, that Benadryl, those are sedating, but... Allegra and loratadine, and I'm, I, I always like to talk by generic names. And although they're more annoying, it's it, it, at least you know you can look on the label because some of these packaging can be deceiving and you want to see what you're getting. But anyhow, so yeah, these daytime ones, they're not sedating, but caution if it contains something that could affect the blood pressure, of course. Um, 
I understand but, some yeah. of them can also have urological effects. You know, a lot of men, older men have uh, enlarged prostates, and some mm -hmm. of these medications can cause urinary retention. Uh, that's pretty uncomfortable right. side effect. <laughs> Absolutely. Yep. So then I so they had enlarged prostate and glaucoma, um, similar mechanisms. But um, yeah, the antihistamines and the decongestants work in different ways that can exacerbate the problem. So reading the labels, because it's on there, but it may not be clear to people that this affects me. So again, double check with your pharmacist or your physician before you're choosing something. Um, but yeah, we these there's those disease interactions that we need to be very cautious about. Um, and only, I, I can't say it enough, but only choose products or products that suit the symptoms that you truly have and that need treated and then make sure you're choosing a good product that works for you because every person is different. And we need to personalize that medicine. And briefly, we need to tackle uh, NSAIDs, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, because mm. pain is a ubiquitous problem in America. And NSAIDs, <laughs> oh, yeah. and people are consuming billions and billions of capsules of mm -hmm. Advil and mm -hmm. Motrin and Aleve. Uh, and, but these products uh, can have pretty consequential side effects. So what's, what should you look out for? Mm -hmm. Let's talk about those, sure. So the NSAIDs are your drugs like ibuprofen and naproxen. Those are the main ones out there without a prescription. Advil and Aleve are the main names. Um, they There's like a triple whammy. The first is the stomach issues. They can contribute to bleeding, cause stomach issues. They can interact if someone's taking aspirin or any other medicine that already predisposes somebody to bleeding. There's that risk. They can have kidney problems, lead to mm -hmm. decreased kidney function in susceptible people. And the third piece is the cardiovascular. It can be heart dam damaging to the heart if people have heart conditions. So um, we have to, again, these are more great, much more serious problems in older adults. And we really want to be cautious. What's challenging is how do you manage pain as you get older? And uh, Tylenol is typically the go-to product. It's not an anti-inflammatory, so it may not be effective for everybody. Um, but too much of that can lead to liver damage, so we have to be cautious of that. But the non-steroidal anti-inflammatories, um, widely included, even in as you, the cough and cold products and sleep products, you know, they're they're going to be in, in not just these pain medicines, um, but they it can be detrimental to older adults. Um, so I worry most about the bleeding and the stomach ulcers, but we can't ignore that there might be kidney and heart concerns too. And then there was this push, you know, and it's actually been uh, revised to tell people over a certain age that they should take an aspirin a day for prevention. To me, that was a way <laughs> mm -hmm. of sort of rejiggering uh, children's aspirin, which is low-dose aspirin, which turned out to be not a great mm -hmm. thing because kids can get this thing called, mm -hmm. if I'm pronouncing it correctly, Rye syndrome. Sure. Right. Uh, mm -hmm. They take yep. aspirin for fever. So they said, well, we've got yep. all this uh, 81 milligram aspirin. Well, let's get uh, every adult <laughs> over the age it? of 40 to take an aspirin a day for cardiovascular prevention. But in your book, you, you kind of decry that approach. Absolutely. And that's a great example of how medicine has changed. So, you know, 30 years ago, an aspirin a day was absolutely recommended. And even, yeah, age 40 or age 50 and over. And where we are now as our, our, um, our understanding has grown, but also as we have our care of, um, our cardiovascular, um, management has improved and our knowledge and lifestyles have changed. Aspirin for people who have never had a heart attack or stroke, so that primary prevention, as you mentioned, 
is no longer recommended, first by the USPRR, United States Preventive Task Force Guidelines, and then by the Heart Association. Um, so now we're what we see is the, the potential for bleeding in people who have never had that heart attack or stroke is generally greater than the, any benefit they would derive from it, again, case-by-case case basis. But um, if you are healthy and you're, you're getting older, there's no need to start aspirin. It's more important to watch the blood pressure, watch the cholesterol, maybe, you know, look at the statin medications if you have high cholesterol. There's other things we're doing to help our, to protect our heart and the, that bleeding risk with a, even that baby aspirin, right? Seems so little, um, is not worth it for people who have never had the issue. And if you had a heart attack, whole other story, definitely there's a benefit to that pr- protective aspirin. But yeah, great example. And I, I bring it up often because things change just because you've been taking something for 10 years, 20 years, maybe the medicine and what we, the science of what we understand is different these days. So it's important to double check always. Okay. Well, gr- great discussion. You've laid down the groundwork for our discussion part two, where we'll tackle, tackle some common prescription drugs and how sometimes uh, there are adverse combinations because uh, sometimes one plus one equals 10. Uh, and, you know, yep. the smoke comes out of your ears mm-hmm. when you take too many different things. Uh, <laughs> the book is Maybe yep. It's Your Medications, How to Avoid Unnecessary Drug Therapy and Adverse Drug Reactions. I think that this is a really an important book for virtually everyone uh, over a certain age to have in the family library. Uh, the author, Dr. Hedva Bernholtz Levy, uh, she's a PharmD, which means she's got a, uh, a, pharm- a degree in uh, pharmacy, and she's uh, an apostle for making sure that we uh, uh, appropriately prescribe medication, especially for older adults. I'm Dr. Ronald Hoffman, and this is the Intelligent Medicine Podcast.